This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, March 27, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. Even abhorrent speech deserves protection. I spoke today with Greg Lukianoff of the Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education about the cases of public Oklahoma University and private Ithaca College and their struggles with student speech. So at, at the University of Oklahoma, I, I think probably everybody's heard about it by now. Um, there was about 10 seconds of video of students uh, in a fraternity, SAE, and engaged in a racist chant, a really offensive uh, racist chant that involved uh, references even to lynching, um, using the N-word. It's, uh, there's no question that, that this, was, uh, this was offensive. Um, but the reaction to it is uh, very concerning um, in that we've watched um, uh, a lot of uh, you know, supposed experts on, on constitutional and First Amendment law come out and figure out a way to say that this isn't actually protected speech. Meanwhile, you know, uh, Eugene Volokh and uh, Chemerinsky, you know, uh, uh, Jeffrey Stone, some of the real big names in constitutional law, they've all come out and said, no, this is protected. And, you know, to, to their point, uh, one, one of the only cases that really is on point is this, pa- this case called Papish from the 1970s that dealt with a cartoon on campus that depicted cops raping the Statue of Liberty. And the, Const- and, and the Supreme Court had no trouble figuring out this is, this is protected speech. The fact that it's offensive is actually all the more reason why it's protected speech. So I don't think there can be any question that this is protected. Now, a caveat here. I make no bones about it. Fraternities consistently give us the least sympathetic free speech cases on campus. And what I'm a fr- and I and I talk about this in my book on learning liberty is it seems to follow this pattern like it did in Yale uh, back in 2010 I believe where students were also engaged in an offensive chant uh, where fraternity members an, an offensive chant and they got in trouble um, and then a lot of times when they get in trouble the uh, the chanters you know end up getting kicked out and that's perfectly within the rights of the fraternity to do that. A lot of times the national fraternity will um, decide not to de-recognize the entire fraternity, which is a fairly dramatic step. Um, But then there's sometimes additional steps taken. Now, at University of Oklahoma, absolutely legitimate for the the fraternity to kick those members out if they wanted to. It's a voluntary association. And it's completely within the rights of the national fraternity to de-recognize that chapter if they wanted to. But the additional steps of immediately expelling the students who were caught on tape, that poses easy and obvious due process issues in addition to uh, First Amendment issues. Um, and derecognizing getting rid of the entire fraternity uh, does as well. Words, again, I mean, as, as heinous and uh, offensive as those words are, it is words. It, 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 it is words. They're not fighting words. Right. They're not, they're not directed at someone. It doesn't fit any, uh, any exception uh, to the First Amendment. And watching, you know, for example, Jeffrey Tubin on CNN, someone who I think likes to think of himself as trying to be fair about uh, constitutional law issues. But he talks about this as being a tough issue. But what he had to do was transform this into a public officially sponsored um, uh, event that these students were participating in. And it wasn't. It was a event they were traveling to, a private event they were traveling to in a bus. And he also, what really worried me about his analysis is he ended up saying, well, this, these are campuses. Of course, there's different rules that apply because, of course, they have to have 
less free speech because they try to create welcoming environments. And this, to me, is the ultimate victory of this mentality that is the complete opposite of what it's supposed to be. The, the former understanding, the papish understanding of campuses is, if anything, free speech should be more protected on campus. Then there's Charles Blow, uh, t- take, on, take on this. Uh, when he was interviewed on CNN about this, he kept on talking about this 1988-1988 um, Supreme Court case. I mentioned it over and over again. And the only case he could possibly mean is a case called Hazelwood v. Kuhlmeyer, which is a case limiting uh, the rights of a high school journalism class uh, free, uh, students' free speech rights in the context of a journalism class. It, it was actually a fairly, fairly narrow holding, but also uh, there, there's decent case law saying this absolutely does not apply to, to, to colleges. Some other lower courts sometimes try to sort of invoke it, uh, but it's fire its position. I think it's absolutely correct. There's no way you can square Hazelwood with existing precedent on, on colleges. So, it, so really part of the argument has been this just like you know, Eric Posner has been arguing, essentially trying to, to uh, trying to move uh, what I consider in some cases uh, troubling case law, even for high school students, into the college sphere. Now, uh, what makes this case uh, poten- potentially worse, this Oklahoma University, is that, as you point out, the fraternity's not really fighting back. The students themselves are not really fighting back. Essentially, allowing the social sanction right. to allow opponents of free speech to win. Right. The, uh, we don't know what the students are going to do, but my guess is they're probably not going to fight back. There's been some indication that the fraternity itself will fight back, and definitely, uh, you know, if, if they do, you know, uh, FIRE will be l- lending its support. And I want to be clear here that, that there's been a lot of discussion about high-value and low-value speech in this discussion, and it's something that, uh, you know, sometimes you get the person who doesn't quite understand some of the deeper principles of free speech say, how could you possibly say that, that this is valuable speech? And here's the point. Knowing that people are racist is an incredibly valuable thing to know. Um, people are forgetting the larger informational idea, uh, and we end up making these sort of normative judgments about horrible things that people say. But then it's like, so really, ultimately, what you're saying is, I'm better off not knowing what people really think. This is a example from, I suppose, a, a, a different angle, but this is something that campuses are dealing with all the time, which is uh, so-called microaggression which is typically a slight of some kind. Right. Uh, somebody isn't recognizing uh, your value, uniqueness, uh, importance, uh, background, ethnic origin, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, Ithaca College in New York has done what? Yeah, Ithaca College. So microaggressions is, in my opinion, you know, in some ways, potentially a useful academic theory, where uh, that, that actually started way back in the 1970s, uh, where you had um, uh, one professor talking about uh, you know slight racist slights um, that people do unconsciously. Studying that is interesting. That's fine, but unfortunately, this idea has been embraced um, recently. And uh, by by students, and they they've started this sort of language policing of microaggressions, um, and this has been going on in a number of a number of campuses, sometimes informally, like at Princeton, they set up websites that report them. But Ithaca College has really outdone itself. Um, it's set up a it's student government has set up an anonymous reporting program 
for uh, for microaggressions um, that uh, would also creepily track the demographics of the people who report the microaggressions and the people who um, are, are, are accused of engaging in microaggressions. And I want to be really clear. Microaggressions can be practically anything. They can be anything that is perceived as a slight. Um, you know, it's, uh, examples that I've seen in the past have been, you know, th- some things that might be like, you know, insensitive, like to asking someone who's like third generation American, like, what country are you, are you from? Or do, um, but other examples are like, you know, where's your family from? Or um, is that, or, or one, another example was, ooh, nice boots, you know, or, 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 or nice, like sarcastically saying someone has a nice car because that's a class microaggression. Um, and and there's, there's an obvious problem here is that we're policing, is that it encourages policing speech and obsessing over um, these, uh, these uh, uh, slights that might not even actually have been slights at all. Now, this is problematic on a lot of levels. Ithaca's a, a, a private college, so they can have this program. But it's invoked um, in the name. Of, oh, but also Ithaca College, if they want to have this program, they sure better get rid of their promises of freedom of speech that they have, have, have made to students. And they make strong promises of freedom of speech. But the idea um, that it's it's flawed from the get-go. Certainly, this on, on a public college, this wouldn't survive First Amendment scrutiny for a second. But there's something beyond that. The idea that we're actually going to increase dialogue, increase tolerance, incre- increase the productivity of interaction between people who are generally different by walking on eggshells, by being uptight as possible and scrubbing our speech of anything that could be offensive, while at the same time encouraging people to be as offended as often as possible, it's not going to work. It's not good for, for pluralism. It's not good for dialogue. I think that ultimately this is going to achieve the exact opposite of everything, of every goal it is stated to want to achieve. In promoting this idea of policing speech in order to avoid slights and perception of slights, what does that say about the attitude of the speech police toward people who might be offended? Mm-hmm. It, it seems that, that oh, patronizing. You mean it, it seems incredibly patronizing. Well, that, that's one thing that that that, that, can, that seems to have fallen out of, of the discussion and, and really has to be emphasized is that the idea uh, undergirding this uh, is this idea of, of of people being incredibly fragile. Um, that, that essentially, um, that if you say something wrong, it's a deep, deep wounding um, harm that essentially students can't uh, can't cope with. Now, that's the stated reason for it. This this kind of a John Heights care ethic taken to the to the to the ridiculous extreme, where essentially anything you say that might be insensitive is, of course, uh, absolutely Im- immoral. Um, but th- but I will say that there is also a darker side to it, which is that this language policing sometimes, and I think Jonathan Chait wrote a really interesting article about this um, in New York Magazine, talking about how it's sort of weaponized, about how sometimes, sure, it might be sincerely uh, used to try to on a quest to make people more sensitive and kinder and more inclusive. But a lot of times it ends up getting as, getting used as a weapon to basically say, listen, I'm not listening to anyone who does not say this exactly right. And this is one of the things that I that, that, that I find so amazing is that they talk about class in this. They talk about cla- wanting to police micro uh, class microaggressions. Meanwhile, those of us who have you know worked with inner city high school kids, or worked in factories, or worked in other countries, um, you know, done uh, manual labor, worked in restaurants, um, the idea that you, that they don't they don't seem to be understanding is what they're really saying is. 
that unless you talk like, say, a PhD in social science from Smith or a PhD in social science from Harvard, that you should not be allowed into the discussion. Or at a, at a more basic level, you don't understand enough about the things that I know in order to have a conversation with me. Per, that's exactly right. And, and this goes back to the whole idea of epistemic humility, um, that essentially what we, that we need more of that in the way we talk to each other. The idea of, of, of a Buddhist idea of humbly approaching someone and saying, I want to hear how you actually would talk as, as a genuine person to me. Um, that, that's great. That, that could really be productive for getting people to talk across lines of difference. The idea of instead approaching them and saying, you said something slightly wrong according to what I learned in college. How much more elitist and Victorian can you get? Greg Lukianoff is the president of the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. You can read more on free speech and what it means at our website, cato.org.